welcome. You're listening to The Yarn, where we bring you some of the best reporting from the graduate journalism courses here at the University of Melbourne. I'm Thea Walsh. Hair from a corpse, killer antidotes and photos of the dead. These are some of the objects held in the University of Melbourne's 12 museums. They're also featured on Uncurated, the seven-part podcast produced by this semester's advanced audio class. My name is Angus Thompson. I've been a student at the University of Melbourne for nearly four years, but I'll admit I knew nothing about the objects behind these sandstone walls. Neither, it turns out, did my fellow journalism students. To be honest, I never thought I'd be talking about a plant. I'm not sure why, but I feel queasy looking at this. I thought the book was about Captain Cook. The cook didn't even put the books together himself. What kind of person cuts hair off his dead mother and displays it to the public? I need to find out who are these women and how did they end up at the University of Melbourne. The objects we found tell stories of fame and fortune, sex and death. I was like the provocateur. I had a problem with the soldiers, the sailors stealing nails and, and swapping nails for sex. So if you get it wrong, you know about it very quickly and the patient goes into a series of convulsions and spasms and dies. And, most importantly, they speak of hidden histories, stories from our past that have been forgotten or overlooked. Today on The Yarn, we're talking to just two of the 16 students involved in making the podcast. Master of Journalism students Mustafa Nuristani and Nell Gerats. Hello to you both. Hi. Hello. First of all, congratulations. This really sounds like such a professional podcast and it must have taken a lot of work. <laughs> oh, thank you. Really appreciate that. Yes, and you're right. It was a lot of work. Nell, can you give us the elevator pitch? What is Uncurated about? Yeah, so essentially we knew that we wanted to do something with just this wealth of collections um, throughout the 12 museums that we have at the University of Melbourne because a lot of us went into the subject actually either never having set foot inside many of these different museums or just not really knowing many of the stories behind the objects that you would find within them if you did actually visit. So we knew that that's where we wanted to start. Um, and we were actually initially quite inspired by Mark Fennell's stuff, The British Stole. So um, he actually also just released a new season for that as well. Um, so we knew that we wanted to take quite a sort of journey-like, exploratory um, point of entrance into this topic and into these museums. Um, and we wanted to sort of take out individual objects from each of them and really just dive into the nitty gritty of what are these objects all about? What are the stories and the histories behind these particular objects? Um, and that's when we began to think of curatorship. So obviously the podcast is called Uncurated. Um, and so that's sort of our way of saying that this is a slightly more subversive podcast. You know, it's not your run of the mill, you know, kind of descriptive podcast about objects that you find in a museum. We actually wanted to go beyond what you would read, say, on like a placard that you would find beside an object when you go somewhere like that. We wanted to actually look beneath that and try to explore who's actually telling these stories. Who wrote this placard that you see on the wall beside a hank of hair, for example, or a snake bite remedy kit? 
and actually really try to interrogate how that changes the story and how that changes the history, um, particularly Australian history, because that's really what we were looking at through all of these objects. And so we just ended up finding out all of these incredible, really quite astonishing stories that we do believe are quite hidden. I don't think many people would actually know about it. And we just really thought that would make an incredible podcast, something for the public to listen to, not only to learn more about what you can find at um, the institution, at the university, but also just what you can find out about Australia and our nation's history as a whole, because there's just so much more to it than you kind of see initially on the surface. Mm, I have to agree. I've been at the University of Melbourne for eight years now, and I have never known that any of the items that you guys have featured even existed. So it's been a really great learning curve. Um, seven items in seven episodes. Mustafa, yours is featured in episode two, The Plant with Many Names. This week, one plant, many names. Reporter Mustafa Nuristani finds echoes of his own history in the struggle to recognise the contribution of Indigenous knowledge to science. Can you tell us about the object you uncovered? So what happened was that we were allocated a museum. And so it was like a surprise. Um, I was thinking, please give me a good one. Please give me a good one. And... Um, and then I was given the herbarium and I was like, great, this is going to be amazing. I'm going to talk about how it smells good, how it tastes good and all the different herbs that you could use on a pizza. And, um, and then, you know, when I looked at it, I realized that there is always a story. It doesn't matter what it is, you can find the story and... I know that I'm from Afghanistan, so I have an indigenous background and I know that the indigenous Australians have been around for a while. So I did some research into what kind of plants they have around and they have like literally hundreds and hundreds and thousands. So I decided to go for something that sounded rather peculiar. And, um, and so I chose the emu bush and um, emu bush has got many names because, you know, in the scientific community, they call it Aramophila and the indigenous communities have different names for it. But the person who I interviewed, um, he lives in um, Wagga Wagga. And in that area, they call the emu bush Barragan. So, um, yeah, my object is the emu bush. And what's so cool about the emu bush? What does it what does this plant do? Well, when you listen to the story, you would realize that it has so much more than just being a bush. And uh, does it even relate to the emu? We don't even know. I mean, no one seems to know why it's called emu bush. But the reality is, is that this is a very powerful, powerful plant that connects man, nature. The plant kingdom is connected to the bird kingdom and also the human kingdom. So we have this amalgamation of these three different um, qualities of life that come together through this one plant. And when I was speaking with Mark Sadler, who is the expert on the story, um, he said that he uses it um, 
instead of Voltaren to get rid of, you know, inflammation on his dad's knees, you know. And people use it as a laxative. Uh, people use it for ulcers in the stomach. Um, they can, you know, you can take the flowers and then um, suck on the nectar and it's just a delicious, sweet, um, honey-like nectar that uh, cures um, ulcers in the mouth. And so it's got so many uses. It's just this one humble plant, which is not so humble at all when you think about it. It's really powerful and curative in all different ways. Yes, it was fascinating to hear all these medicinal uses. Um, and your episode discusses how Indigenous knowledge is mostly sidelined in the Western science framework of journals, peer reviewing, so on, that's only just starting to catch up to what has been known for thousands of years. What did you learn about how we might do better at recognising these existing different knowledge systems within Western science? I think what we really need to do is actually listen to the Indigenous elders, engage with them. This was something that was very clear to me when I was uh, speaking with the professor from South Australia who's done research on the Aramophila plant in different parts of Australia. Um, she was saying that they were working with the Indigenous communities and the knowledge that they get from the Indigenous communities are patented for them and so they can make some money when it's made of um, medicine or something is made out of the plant. But that is not something that is everywhere. And it's only very recent. It's very recent. So what we really need to do is we actually need to not just say things, not just say, oh, we are doing it, but actually do it. The indigenous uh, communities have been around for literally thousands. It's one of the oldest communities in the world, yet uh, we don't respect that. We don't respect that they have a lot of knowledge, that they have been living on this earth for so long and that they know how to take care of the earth. They know how to take care of their young. They know how to take care of their generations coming on and, and passing out that knowledge. We just need to literally listen to them and then give them credit when they share their knowledge. That is the most decent thing and the most simplest thing we can do because if we're not going to give credit, it's stealing. And we don't want to steal. We want to be doing the right thing by them. So that's what I would say. Nell, the theme of colonization comes through the whole series. How did you go about creating these consistent threads when you were talking about seven objects that are so different from each other? Well, honestly, it was actually sort of a beautiful mistake, I guess you could say. It was a kind of coincidence that we ended up finding these like themes that ran through all of these episodes because it was actually quite um, a big discussion that we had initially um, as the two separate classes. Uh, we were really trying to figure, figure out how are we actually going to create a cohesive series where seven extremely different objects actually come together as a whole to actually try to, you know, um, present this holistic argument I guess you could say or at least a holistic theme apologies there are people I don't know if you can hear them out there but um 
it threw me off a little bit. Um, yeah, but then once we actually began the research phase and we started to look more in depth into each of the objects, producing each of our episodes, we realized that themes like colonization, also um, power was a big one, fame, death, sex, all the ones that sell, the big themes that you know are really going to sell um, audio on TV and whatnot, wherever it is, they just popped up organically. And that was it was really lucky, to be honest, because it all just ended up coming together beautifully for us. Um, and also, not only did it come together in a really just, you know, quite a simple and lucky way, but these are themes that I think are just so, so important and so significant um, in order to discuss, especially here in Australia, you know, like colonization. I don't think that discussion will ever come to a resolution. I don't think it will ever end. You know, it needs to keep going. It has to be ongoing. And so we were just so happy that we were able to actually contribute towards that conversation. And we were actually, especially, you know, through episodes like the Emu Bush, which is out just this week, we're able to actually add to um, this whole discussion around not only medical practices and, you know, how that you know, how that coincides with Indigenous communities and Indigenous knowledge and values and language as well. Um, but yeah, how history has actually sort of been warped to fit a certain narrative, a certain British or, you know, colonist narrative through time and how we just can't have that. That just can't stand anymore. That needs to change. And so being able to create an entire series that can actually touch upon really important issues and themes like colonization, but then you also have, you know, the high entertainment value of BDSM and uh, a whole lot of murder and, you know, like snakes. That's just high entertainment as well. So the fact that we were able to really sort of glue all of these quite dichotomous themes together into one neat package, it was kind of a really lucky coincidence. Um, but I think it also really did help that we, we received a lot of help from the actual curators at the museums, um, at the, especially during the initial stages where they were helping us choose the objects that we were actually going to focus on. So I do definitely think that we have a lot to thank um, for them as well, just because they definitely led us down the right paths, I think. Um, yeah, which just ended up... Helped you mm, choose the objects with sex appeal. Exactly, like 100%. You know, the episode that I produced alongside uh, Jenny Kay, it, it's pretty much all about um, sex and power and legacy. So, you know, they're exciting things. People like to listen to stuff like that. Um, but then you're also able to learn so much. It has so much educational value. Um, and that is just so important, you know, as Mustafa said as well. And I think his episode in particular really touched on that theme of um, colonization and, you know, imperialism and everything. And yeah, I think it's incredible that as a student initiative, we were really able to contribute towards that. Mm. And, and perhaps the simple reason why colonisation popped up so much is just because it is so inextricably linked with all of Australia's history. So even, you have seven different items, but there are there is this consistent theme. Absolutely. And, you know, it's because who's actually writing the history who who's writing these history textbooks who's writing these placards um next to the exhibits in the museums who's curating the museums you know that's the whole point of uncurated we're actually kind of deconstructing that in a way which is really cool you know it's it, we're sort of um 
we tried to kind of stay away from that whole revisionist history thing. But at the end of the day, that is part of what we were doing for sure. You know, we, we wanted to revise these narratives that were written or shared by a very specific subset of people, you know, and there's just so many more people that really need to have their voices heard. For sure. Mustafa, in your episode, you talk about how the emu bush really resonated with your own cultural experience. Could you tell us a bit about that? Were you surprised by how rich of a story came out of this Australian bush? Um, well, I was very touched by Mark Sadler's story because here I was thinking that, you know, this this is going to be a plant that has got a lot of curative powers and it's going to, you know, and of course the indigenous man is going to know exactly what they are. But what I realized was that the indigenous people are so connected to nature and it's that connection with nature that nourishes everything around us. And it's the same, it's the same connection that a child has with his or her, their mother, you know. They have that nourishing connection where the mother just looks at the child and the child feels connected. And the indigenous people have the same connection with the earth and with the plants and with the animals. So you know, Mark Sadler was saying that he has got a totem and, you know, he has to look after this plant and he also has a bird that he has to look after. And so they're all given these things. And in Afghanistan, we also have similar connections. You know, we, we treat the earth with respect and we have celebrations when seasons change to bring out more of the love and nourishing qualities and give thanks to the different qualities of, you know, different plants that are growing and different fruit that is in season. All of those things are really celebrated. So I was really taken back to my own country. And, you know, I also feel connected with the indigenous people in Australia because I was kicked out of my own home country. We were invaded. The Westerners came and they just invaded our country and they decided that they're going to do this and this and this. And this is the same people that invaded Australia. So it's no different. And on that level, I always feel so much connection with the indigenous people because I know the pain. I know the, the hurt that they have in their hearts, you know, that they carry, the burden that they carry, the, the, this feeling that you're somehow less because, you know, these Westerners have got the more technology, they have better resources. And so they're just going to come and take whatever you have and take advantage of that and become rich themselves. Afghanistan's been abused for so long. We have so much, so much to give. Yet none of the Afghans have ever had the opportunity to, to make use of that. And the indigenous community is exactly the same. They're exactly the same. They're just, you know, these outsiders when they, they're the traditional owners of the land and it shouldn't be like that. But, you know, if I tell someone here, if I just say, hey, you need to get out of your home now because um, I've decided that I like your home, they will put up a lot of fight and they'll say, oh, no way. But we did that to the indigenous people. And we, I mean, I don't really want to go to the to the length of, you know, destruction that 
we have caused the indigenous people, but it's time that we healed together. It's time that we came together and we actually appreciated them for who they are and not judge them. Here on Radio Fodder and The Citizen, you're listening to The Yarn. My name's Fia Walsh and my guests are Mustafa Nuristani and Nell Gerats. I don't think it's much of an exaggeration to say that every uni student has been traumatised by a group assignment at one point or another during their degree. And this was essentially one giant group assignment. Nell, what made this work? Yeah, so I think I would definitely be inclined to agree with you there. Um, I can only speak for myself, of course, but going into this subject and, you know, this being our first assignment or, you know, big project that we were going to uh, conduct, (laughs) there was definitely a moment, no matter how slight or um, short-lived, where I was like, all right, this is quite a massive endeavor, you know? Um, This is going to be a big, big collaborative project. And especially because it was all over Zoom, you know, obviously we're currently in lockdown here in Melbourne. um, And when it began at the beginning of semester, we were kind of like yo-yoing in and out. So there was a lot of uncertainty there as well. We didn't really know where we were gonna be based, if we would be able to actually meet in person to research, brainstorm, and actually develop our ideas and the episodes themselves. And so that uncertainty definitely added a little bit to the nerves and anxiety that I think a few of us may have been feeling initially. I can't even imagine how, you know, Rachel and Louisa were feeling, the actual um, coordinators of the subject. They, they'd never done it before either. So this was an entirely new practice, entirely new project. And honestly, I can't underestimate, I I just, I can't sort of like emphasize enough how incredible it actually turned out being. Um, It it was just absolutely wonderful seeing everybody come together and we were sort of forced to come together in a way, despite the fact that yes, it was all remote, it was all virtual. We were just nudged in the direction of actually having to have really in-depth conversations with not only our partners um, that we were working with for our individual episodes, but also beyond that. You know, I know I was working a lot with the editorial team. So like the host and the social media gurus, as we called them, um, et cetera, et cetera. And on it, this was the subject where I think I got to know many of the other students more than some of the classes that I've had where we actually sit in a classroom together, physically face-to-face. And I think that says wonders. Uh, That says kind of everything that you need to know, I think, because I don't know what it was about this project. It's hard to put into words even. I think it was just because we all just happened to become really passionate, not only about the objects that we chose, but about the purpose and sort of the whole sort of aim um, and mission behind the entire project as a whole. And because we were so passionate, we really came together and were just so willing to share our ideas and to like offer advice if somebody needed it in class to ask questions. And there was just 
absolutely there were no nerves or discomfort in class because we knew we were all working towards the same goal as well and we knew that we all had to put in as much effort and passion and interest as we possibly could in order to actually end up with an end result that we did thankfully end up with you know we knew that we wanted to publish this and put this out there on like spotify and apple podcasts and omni and everything and in order to do that, you know, you got to put in the, the long yards. And I think we really did. And it was just beautiful seeing the level of collaboration um, that we actually managed to reach. Um, and yeah, seeing how fantastic projects can actually be if you put multiple minds towards it instead of just, um, you know, an independent project where, of course, you can still create fantastic work to a great standard. But this is just on a whole other level, I think. I think we just went above and beyond because we all have different skills and different strengths, especially in terms of audio. Some of us are like a gun with audio editing. So they would just come in there and just absolutely revolutionize episodes and like our intros and our trailers because just their skills with mixing audio are just out of this world. And then others just have this incredible ability to describe, like, even you know, Mustafa, when he's describing the emu bush in his episode, it's just so evocative. So, you know, you have that and there are just all of these different skills, you know, interplaying with each other. And yeah, that really is a beautiful thing to actually witness and also contribute towards yourself. So, yeah. <laughs> Mel, you're so sweet. I, um, I think that um, <laughs> we, we, were going, we were just about ready to reach over Zoom and pull each other's hair out because uh, we, were, we were spending so much time together. It was um, a lot of time spent together with my editor and my, you know, producer. Uh, so uh, it was, you know, long nights, long days. And my wife um, outside was like, are you finished yet? And I'm like, quiet, quiet, we're recording. <laughs> it was fun. Yeah, and you can see that passion really comes through in the final product. As well as the talent of the students, you also had some amazing mentors across the semester, guest lectures from some of the best podcasters in Australia, Plus, of course, Louisa Lim and Rachel Fountain. I'm curious about what you think was the most valuable piece of advice that you got for this project. Mustafa, I'll start with you. Well, you know, as a journalist, you are always removed from the story. The journalist is not, there is no um, sharing of your own feelings or your own thoughts or your own experiences. It's just, these are the facts. This is what he said. This is what she said. And this is what they all said. And now, you know, you make whatever you want out of it. But in podcasting, it was a totally different experience because here we were telling a story, but also commenting on our own feelings, how it was affecting us, how the journey was, you know, making us feel about ourselves and about our worldview and so that was really interesting and that was one of the things that um, I um, had to learn from the very beginning because I was all about you know this is I want I want to just make it about these guys this is their story and then Louisa said no in a podcast it's nice to hear from the 
reporter as well. So you should you should also incorporate your own feelings. And so then I just went nuts and incorporated everything. <laughs> Whatever I felt, I just said it. <laughs> and and yeah, your personal story did really elevate your episode. So great advice. Now, what was the main thing that you took away? For me, I think it would have to be developing a really solid North Star. So I had actually never heard of the term North Star prior to entering into this subject. I don't know if I was just living under a rock before this and it was actually just like a really well-known term in journalism. I don't really know. But um, yeah, it was my first introduction to it. And I don't think I'm ever going to forget that word. Honestly, it is ingrained into my brain permanently now. And... I can only see that as a really, really valuable thing because that was the main challenge, I think. And also one of the first challenges that we all collectively encountered, and that was just trying to develop, as I said, a succinct, effective angle, your North Star, you know, like that kind of, I guess, sort of equivalent to the one line elevator pitch that you would give uh, for any other podcast or piece of journalism. And that was hard. It was really tough, you know? We had so much material that we were still in the process of kind of trying to wade through and narrow down. And we had so many ideas. I think that is one thing about, you know, doing a group project is that there were, you know, something like 16 individual minds, all with their own unique ideas and also like perspectives and like their own take on how we should actually go about, um, I guess, defining this project overall and creating like our mission statement. Um, so actually coming together and all agreeing definitively on one North Star was, was definitely our first and biggest obstacle, I would say. But once you have that North Star, you suddenly you're just you're running you're just running into the future you you know you can't really stop yourself from that point on because your wheels are moving you know both in your brain and you know maybe even your body too because you're so excited and you're just like we have it like we have our north star we know exactly what we're doing um the angle is focused and narrow enough that you know that you can't end up going off on like a million different tangents and losing your audience and so it was just so vital that we actually eventually came to one. And when we did, I really think that was what set us up um, for the rest of the podcast. So from now on, I know that, you know, not even just with audio work and podcast podcasting, literally with anything that I write or produce or film, I'm like, what is my North Star? Like, and, you know, we heard that from all of our guest lecturers as well, who were incredible. We were really, really lucky, I think, with um, who we actually got to hear from throughout the semester as well. And, yeah, that's just the main thing. You, you have to have that North Star. Without it, you're just kind of floating out um, in the cosmos, just not really knowing what you're talking about. And no one really wants to listen to that. So, yeah, that was super, super helpful. Finally, Nell, do you have any social media where you'd like our audience to follow you? Oh, yeah. So you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Gerard's Nell. Um, I'm also on Facebook, just as Nell Gerard's, and on Instagram as 
I want to say Nelgy98. Pretty sure that's correct. And of course, there's the socials for the Uncurated series. Um, absolutely go follow that if you can. We're the Uncurated Pod. Uh, and you can find us on pretty much every social media platform as well. Great. And Mustafa? Yes, people can follow me on Twitter at mnuristani. Great. Thank you both so much for your time today. Thank you, Fia. It was great being here. Thanks, Fia. Thank you. You can listen to Uncurated at thecitizen.org.au or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you like and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. It's really good. Thanks, as always, to our producer, Jordan Beasley. Radio fodder producer is Mark Yin. Music is by Daniel Birch and graphic design by Rose Gertzakis. That's it for this week. I'm Fia Walsh. See you next time here on The Yarn.